Okay, so this brings us to point number two this morning. The events of Daniel chapter 6. And I want to examine Daniel chapter 6 under four or five subheadings, which we'll give you as we go. The first subheading is the trap devised. Now verse 1, if you look at Daniel chapter 6, it mentions Darius rather than Cyrus. Let me quote the John MacArthur Study Bible at this point. John MacArthur says, Possibly Darius was not a name, but an honoured title for Cyrus, who with his army entered battle on October 29, 539 BC. The name Darius is used in inscriptions for at least five Persian rulers. History mentions no specific man named Darius the Mede. And if you go over to chapter 6, verse 28, look at the last verse of the chapter. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. John MacArthur says it is possible to uh, translate that verse, Darius, even Cyrus. Okay? So even though my Bible says Darius in chapter 6, we will assume that this is a title that was given to Cyrus. And I'm going to refer to him as Cyrus because that's what history tells us. Now with that understood, we can now read the opening verses. Let's have a look at verses 1 to 3. Daniel 6 verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now remember, Daniel by this stage is in his mid-80s. Even at that stage he was still such an exceptional man that Cyrus planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now Cyrus was not the first one to see these sorts of qualities in Daniel. You go back to Daniel chapter 2, let's just flip back there for a moment. This is 603 BC. Nebuchadnezzar was the king, and Daniel would have been around 17 years of age. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verses 47 to 48. This is after Daniel had interpreted the king's dream. Daniel 2, verse 47. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of God and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honours and many great gifts and made him ruler over the chief province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Then turn over to chapter 5. We now jump to the final day of uh, Belshazzar's reign. This is 539 BC. Daniel was already in his early 80s. Daniel chapter 5, verse 29. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed in purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now you might ask, why the third ruler? Well, Belshazzar's father, Nabonidus, was still alive, and he was the first ruler. Belshazzar was therefore the second ruler, so Daniel would have to be the third ruler. 
However, as verse 30 tells us, Belshazzar was killed that very night. And in chapter 6, we come to an entirely new empire. And once again, Daniel is recognized as being among the best of the best. And this made the other high rulers jealous of him. Look at verse 4, chapter 6, verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Now remember, Daniel had served the Babylonian public service since the, about the age of 15. That's 70 years Everything he did would have been documented. After all, that's what public servants do. They take down minutiae for people. So you can expect that Daniel's file was probably quite thick. And you can be certain that these guys, desperate to dig up any dirt on Daniel, would have scoured that file examining every detail, desperately trying to find something to incriminate him. But they found nothing at all. Look at verses 5 to 9. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for a complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counsellors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into a den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Look there at verse 7. It says, All the high officials of the kingdom are agreed. This is what they came to the king and said. All the high officials of the kingdom are agreed. And verse 1 tells us that Cyrus appointed 120 of these officials. Presumably, they did not consult Daniel. And presumably, he was not with them as they came to stand before the king. So out of the 120 satraps, presumably 119 of them were standing there before the king. That equates to 99.16%. And yet what they proposed was a travesty of justice. And that shows us that even 99.16% of the population can be wrong. Nevertheless, their smooth speech persuaded Cyrus to sign that decree. And they then broadcast this far and wide so that everyone knew what was going on. This brings us to our next sub-point, the trap set. The trap set, verses 10 to 15. Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open to Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God 
as he had done previously. Now it appears that within Daniel's file there was most likely something that spoke of his devotion to his God. That's why they knew to focus on his prayer life when they went before the king. So most likely they formulated their request to the king around Daniel's prayer life. Because they knew that it would be the most visible demonstration of his defiance, in inverted commas, <coughs> against the king. Now notice also in those verses, Daniel opened his windows toward Jerusalem. Now was that some sort of random action on his part? Not at all. <coughs> Daniel knew the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. Let me show you a couple of examples. Look over at chapter 9, verse 1. This is 1 and 2. Daniel 9, verses 1 and 2. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now, there Daniel has been reading Jeremiah 25, verses 11 and 12, when Jeremiah had said by the word of the Lord, this Babylonian captivity will last for 70 years. Now this occurred, you can see there, the first year of Darius, that's 536 BC. This is a few years before what we're reading in chapter 6. And Daniel had studied Jeremiah 25 verses 11 and 12 and realised that the time frame given there was almost completed. And it's likely that when Cyrus came to power, Daniel may well have gone to him and shown him Isaiah's prophecy where this guy, Cyrus, is mentioned by name. Let me show you. Go back to Isaiah chapter 44. This is astonishing when you think of what's going on at the time that this is written. Isaiah 44. This is written about 700 BC. It's 160 years before that. Have a look at what is, what is mentioned here. Isaiah 44, look at verses 24 of chapter 44 through to chapter 45, verse 7. Isaiah 44, verse 24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you out of the womb. I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah, they shall be built. Let's just stop there for a moment. This is 700 BC. Jerusalem is still there. The temple is still there. Jerusalem had not been destroyed yet. This is 700 BC. It would not be destroyed until 586 BC. And yet here we are talking about 539 BC. Okay? Keep that in mind. Let's keep going. Well, let's go back to verse 26. Who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins. Who says to, of the deep, to be dry, I will dry up your rivers. 
who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him, and to loose the belt of kings, to open doors before him, the gates that may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who called you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So the decree of Cyrus to rebuild Jerusalem could easily have come about because Daniel took the prophecy of Isaiah and said, here, read this. And it was written more than 170 years previously. Daniel knew the scriptures. That's the first example. The second example, Daniel's prayer habits give us further insight into his knowledge of scriptures as well. Go back to 1 Kings chapter 8, please. 1 Kings chapter 8. Now here we're going all the way back to the time of Solomon, about 1000 BC. And this is Solomon praying at the temple dedication. And what he says is hugely significant to what we read from Daniel. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 46 to 52. This is Solomon praying. He says this, If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near, yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, and repent and plead to you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies who carried them captive, and pray to you towards their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you, and all their transgressions that they have committed against you, and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive, so that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your heritage, which you have brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and the plea of your people Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. So you can see in that passage that Daniel praying towards Jerusalem was most likely in direct obedience to what Solomon had already prayed 500 years beforehand. And he did it 
three times a day, Daniel chapter 6 tells us, as he had done previously. But this is exactly what Daniel's enemies wanted to see. And we can begin to move a lot quicker from here. Look at verses 11, go back to Daniel 6 and look at verses 11 to 15. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and pleading before his God. Then they came near and, and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. All the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he laboured till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Now there is a repeated phrase in that in, in, in the parts we've already read. If you go back and look in, in verse 6 and in verse 11 and in verse 15, you will see a repeated phrase which three times says they came by agreement to the king. That tells us that this plan against Daniel was meticulously crafted in order that there be absolutely no way that Daniel could slip out through a loophole. We then come to the third sub-point. The trap is sprung but backfires. Now you can see in the verses we've just read that these men have the king over a barrel. Cyrus now discovers their duplicity and their plan all the way, all the way along. But the other thing we see in these verses, if you read between the lines, there is a shift in, the, in who it was that actually wielded power here. Cyrus simply could not respond, well, that law was stupid. I never expected to endanger someone so loyal and faithful as Daniel. I hereby revoke that law. Bang, it's done. Obviously, he did not have the power now to be able to do that. The real power obviously now rested with the bureaucrats that stood before him. The king knew he had been tricked, but he was powerless to change it. Look at verses 16 to 18. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Now you notice that the king had to sign, put his signet ring onto the, uh, presumably on a wax surface on the, uh, on the stone so that nothing could be changed. And the, the other men put their signet rings on there as well. It was all done in triplicate, if you want to put it that way. 
But you also notice here, there's an irony. It appears that Daniel, trapped in a den of lions, enjoyed a peaceful night's sleep, whereas the king, in all his regal splendor, tossed and turned in worry. Psalm 4, verse 8 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And reading once again between the lines, it seems that the king went to the lion's den as soon as he possibly could the next morning. Look at verses 19 to 20. Then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? The suspense here is incredible. Imagine if you only had a a single sheet of the Bible, Daniel chapter 6, and realised that the page ended at the question mark at the end of verse 20. How bad would that be? Fortunately, most of us are not in that position. Look at verses 21 to 23. And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. Now, remember, this section is part of the the part of Daniel that is written in Aramaic. So here Daniel is very careful to record two things in Aramaic for all, for everyone to see. First of all, he personally was innocent of any wrongdoing before the king. And secondly, it was the God of heaven who had saved him from the lions. Now the result of this entire episode is given in verse 24. Have a look there. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Now, to you and I, with our Western way of thinking, we sort of think this is a bit unfair. Why would they throw in the men's wives and children? Well... The reason is that the men's wives and children were destroyed along with them so that there was no way that this evil would continue. Such a punishment would serve as a severe warning to anyone else trying to think that they could do the same sort of thing. That was the idea. And you can imagine it probably worked fairly well. Fourth supplement then, Cyrus's decree. Look at verses 25 to 27. Then King Darius wrote all the the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues and works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Now once again in the book of Daniel we see the king paying homage to the living God. Other kings during the time of Daniel have also acknowledged his sovereignty to varying degrees. 
Nebuchadnezzar, you will remember, was put out to pasture. God almost had to beat him to a pulp before he actually submitted to God. But at the end of his life, he wrote these words. Daniel 4, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the King of Heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So as far as Nebuchadnezzar is concerned, that's a thumbs up for him, right? His grandson, Belshazzar, did not honour God. Daniel chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. Let me read those to you. Daniel 5, starting halfway through verse 21. Daniel says, He, that is Nebuchadnezzar, was fed like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up your heart yourself against the Lord of heaven, And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honoured. Belshazzar died without showing honour to God. Even though for him, literally, the writing was on the wall. So that's a thumbs down for Belshazzar. But now in chapter 6, Cyrus also learned the power of the God of heaven. And he made a wonderful discovery. And uh, we can see there in verses 26 and 27 how he responded to God. He honoured God. He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom cannot be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. But on and on and on. So that's a thumbs up for Cyrus. And that only leaves verse 28, which we've already sort of looked at. Verse 28, So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And you remember I said, John MacArthur said it's possible to translate that as Darius even Cyrus. Cyrus reigned in Medo-Persia from 559 to 530 BC. And as we saw, he dictated the Cyrus Cylinder, which also corroborates what we read in Scripture. Now that brings us to the end of Daniel's life as recorded in Scripture. Nothing more is recorded about him as far as we know As far as we know, he died in Babylon. Sometime after these events, we don't even know what year this actually was for Daniel. But this is the end of Daniel's life. This is all we've got. The end of chapter 6. So this then brings us back to our original question. How can Daniel's experience encourage us and help us also to finish well as Christians? I want to return to this question, how, he, how we can finish well. And what I want to do is suggest seven things to you. Number one, start now. Start now. Wherever you are in your life's journey, begin now to think about your old age. It's a good thing to do. Daniel 1 verse 8 tells us that Daniel resolved not to eat the king's food. He did that at the age of 17. 
Right? Now, I'm not saying that he was thinking about his old age at that stage, but the, the, the point is that, he, that God's word in his life made him resolve to do something. That's what I want to see there. Psalm 90, verses 10 to 12 says this, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet the sp- their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Good prayer. Good prayer. Wherever you are, at whatever age you are in your life, start now. Secondly, you need to be a believer. You need to be a Christian. Daniel and his friends obviously had had godly parents. Now we don't read, we read that between the lines in the book of Daniel, because the names that they were given were beautiful Jewish names which reflected their parents' faith in God. So we assume from that that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, which were the Hebrews' names, were godly men with godly upbringing. But when they were taken to Babylon, it became clear that they had clearly embraced that faith of their parents. We know that because even though Nebuchadnezzar changed their names to reflect his Babylonian gods. They didn't, they, they didn't have any of that. They didn't mind them changing the names, but they're not going to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's God. 1 John 3 verse 23 says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. 1 John 3 verse 23 is a command. God says you must believe in Jesus. Now we don't read that in Daniel because this is 500 years before Jesus came. But Daniel and his friends obviously believed in God and honoured God's word. You and I need to do the same. If you disobey the command of 1 John 3 verse 23, then you don't even get to first base as far as finishing well is concerned. You are commanded by God to believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. You can come and talk to me later on, or one of the elders here, quite happily about that. Number three, you seek to grow spiritually now. As a young man, I said, as I said, Daniel resolved not to eat the king's food. Right? And first one, chapter one, verse eight says he did resolve not to eat the king's food. Therefore, he did such and such and such. That was when he was 17. When he was still in his 80s, he was still learning. And we see that because the only lever that his enemies in chapter 6 were able to use against Daniel was his devotion to God. Question. If your enemies were to investigate you, how much dirt would they find on you? Daniel lived an impeccable life. Now, he wasn't sinless. I'm not trying to make that make out as though that was the case. But he was impeccable in his service to God. Even in his mid-80s, Daniel continually grew spiritually. 1 Peter 2, verses 2 and 3 says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up unto salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. No matter how far you are in your Christian life, you need to continue to grow spiritually. Number four, you need to stay in God's Word. Daniel 9, verses 1 and 2, we read this about 
uh, Daniel's involvement and his understanding of Jeremiah chapter 25 verses 11 and 12 and the fact that this caused him to go to prayer. So his understanding of Isaiah may well have prompted Cyrus to give his decree. We looked at that from Isaiah 44 and 45. And his understanding of Solomon's prayer may well have been the impetus for, for him in opening his windows towards Jerusalem. How do these things then apply to us? Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of God. Does your study of God's Word affect your life? Number five, be constant in prayer. Be reminded of this this morning from, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Romans 12, verse 12, says a similar thing. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Daniel was constant in prayer. We see that in chapter 6, verse 10. Number 6, deal quickly with sin. Do not allow sin to have any hold on your life. We saw this in Daniel chapter 6. They had nothing on him. 1 John 1 verses 9 and 10, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Deal quickly with sin. Finally, entrust yourself to God and keep serving. Daniel entrusted himself to God and faithfully served three kings, or served multiple kings over three, two different empires. 1 Peter 4 verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Keep doing good. Keep going. Have you seen the movie Finding Nemo? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. That's what we do. Swim, swim, swim. Let me close with one more passage. Turn over to Romans chapter 12 please. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse, we'll read from verse 6 to 21, and with this I will close. Romans 12, verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortations, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with, with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it, leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So many things in that passage that apply to Christians in how we walk. May God give us the grace to be able to think about these things. To be able to start to think about how we will end up and what we need to change now in order for that to happen. So that God will be glorified in each of our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the example of Daniel. Father, we understand that he would not have lived his life because he knew it was being written down. But he was focused first on you. Lord, may we, each one of us, honour you and glorify you as we work from this day. As we walk our walk before you. May you be glorified. Father, I pray for any who do not know you, that, Father, you would use the example of Daniel and the the commands and the, the statements from the kings who glorified you in the end, that they may see their need to likewise glorify and honour you in their lives and come to the foot of the cross to find forgiveness for their sins. Lord, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.